Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. All right. Good morning, Riverbend. It is so, so good to be back with you this morning. Um, If you are in Gainesville, Oakwood, online, I can't tell you how great it's uh, to be back with you. Uh, Last week was completely just wiped out, down and out. I'm so glad uh, that my pastor growing up, uh, Larry Wynn, was able to to bring God's Word uh, to to us uh, last week. Um, So don't blame him for how I may have turned out. Um, but uh, still just such a great friend, uh, such a great mentor, such a, just a great voice of encouragement in my life. So, um, and I hope that you have men and women in your life that you, can, uh, that you can call on, that can be that voice of encouragement, that voice of guidance, uh, maybe someone who's maybe just a few steps away in their relationship, uh, a few steps ahead in their relationship with God um, from where you are just to provide some guidance, just to provide somebody to, 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 to imitate and, uh, and to try to guide you. So again, so thankful for that. Also, thankful to be back with you this morning. We are calling this morning Celebration Sunday. Um, Celebration Sunday is really uh, for several reasons. Number one is we're coming out of a 21-day season of prayer and fasting. And this is what that means, is we've set aside 21 days at the beginning of 2024 just to intentionally seek and ask and knock after what God has for us over this year. And one of the things that we've seen, one of the things that we've recognized in years past is the fact that a lot of prayers that God answers throughout the year, the, uh, the seeds of those prayers, the seeds of those answered prayers were actually planted during this 21 days at the beginning of the year. So Celebration Sunday, part of it is just celebrating in advance of everything that God is going to do over the course of 2024. Celebration Sunday is also just an opportunity for us to just celebrate new life and baptism. So this morning we got to celebrate Andrea and her step of obedience and faith. And I have no doubt that that not only encouraged you, but there may be some with us this morning that you sit there and go, you know what, that's my story too that I've given my life to Jesus and at a younger age, at an earlier point in time, I just, for one reason or the other, I just haven't followed him in baptism. And I hope that Andrea's story gives you some encouragement to step out in obedience. So we get to celebrate baptism in the next service. Oakwood uh, celebrating baptism with y'all, with Michael, and that is just absolutely incredible. I've been praying for that for a long time and just really excited to see the chain reaction that God's going to set off using, using Michael's story of being able to celebrate that. Celebration Sunday is also one of those things to where we come out of an intensified uh, time of prayer and fasting. And if you're new to church, let me kind of explain what fasting is. Fasting is where we take uh, a specific amount of time to where we choose to do without something. Um, so that could be a meal of the day, that could, be, uh, that could be food for a certain amount of time, that could be social media, that could be whatever. Uh, we, take a, we, we, we do without something intentionally in order to seek God. And the difference between a fast and a diet is not just what we do without, it's what we do instead of. So some of y'all, you, you, you've, you've chosen to fast from a breakfast or from lunch, or maybe you've taken a couple days, maybe a three-day, two-day, four-day fast 
to where the time that you normally spend eating that meal, you spend time in Scripture, you spend time in prayer, you spend time reading God's Word. Or maybe you fast from social media to where the time that you always find yourself gravitating to the infinite scroll of social media, you choose to set that aside and instead pick up Scripture, pick up the Word of God, pick up a devotional, or just spend time in prayer. So that, that, that's really what fasting is. It's not some weird, like, cultish uh, type of thing. It's us really choosing to do without something so that we can replace that with intentionally going after God. So Celebration Sunday, over these 21 days, God may have given you some clarity or some direction or some guidance over where He wants to take you, um, maybe next steps, maybe over the course of this year. So we celebrate that. God may also have showed, have, have, has shown you some, maybe some new habits, some helpful habits to incorporate into your life. Maybe over this 21-day stretch, this is the first time that you consistently had time alone with God, and you know how fruitful and beneficial that is for you, and you want to continue that forward. So we celebrate that. Over these 21 days, maybe God's revealed some things, maybe some harmful habits that, 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 that you've fallen into, or maybe he's loosened or even broken some chains of addiction or temptation or struggles in your life that you know that you don't want to go back to. So we celebrate that. So those are three quick, uh, quick um, things that we celebrate on Celebration Sunday. But another one, and it's far down the list, but it's still on the list, is the return of Danny's Donuts right? So like I said, it's down on the list, but it's still on the list, right? So um, anyway, it is so good just to be able to celebrate with you. Um, but we are continuing on in a series called I Am. It's a series called I Am. And here's the crux of the series, like the video just showed us. The number one issue that our culture struggles with, that our world struggles with, I would argue, is an issue of identity. It's an issue of identity, right? And here's what I mean. I think that there are three personal identity questions that people struggle with. If you're taking notes with us, here's that first one. It's the question, who am I? The, the, this first question, who am I? And this is a question not only about identity, but this is a question about the relationship between who I am and what I do. So if someone were to ask you, hey, who are you? A lot of times we fill in that blank with the roles that we play, right? So somebody may come and ask me, like, who are you? And be like, well, I'm, I'm Ben, um, I'm, I, I'm a son, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm a sports fan. And, and you may fill in those blanks with different roles as well, but we know deep down that even though those are the roles that we play and those roles are really important, we are much more than the roles that we play. So it is a core question about identity. Who am I at my core level? Who am I stripped away of all the roles that I may play? Who am I really? Which actually gives way to the second question. Not only who am I, but what am I supposed to be? And this is a question that not only students uh, wrestle with. This is a question that adults wrestle with, that we all wrestle with, and this question is rooted in the tension between internal and external expectations. And here's what I mean, is we all have people in our lives that want something for us, or maybe even from us, and we all have things within us that we want things 
for us or even from ourselves. And it's that tension that we try to navigate between the internal and the external expectations. Because here's what we know. Not all external expectations are bad. Not all internal expectations are good. So it's left us wrestling with this question, who am I supposed to be? Especially when you start coming to church and when you start diving into the Word of God and you, 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 you hear about the message of hope and you hear about the promise of transformation and you're starting to gra- uh, grapple with and wrestle with, okay, so who am I supposed to be? Which then gives way to the third question is who can I become? This question is actually rooted, this question is actually rooted in the reasonable expectation and the hope for change. And here's what I mean by that, is none of us like feeling stuck in life, right? But we all recognize that we have limitations. Those limitations may be limitations of genetics. Those may be uh, limitations of skill set or talent, or maybe, maybe other some type of limitations, right? So we all want to grow. And I would argue that whether you're Gainesville, Oakwood, online, there's none of us that would say that we are a finished product, right? So whether you're 18 or 88 or 108, you would say, and we would all confess, listen, I'm not a finished product, but we're still wrestling with this question, who can I become? Now, here's what I would tell you, church. It's easy for us to overlay the issues of identity in these three most personal questions onto a lost and depraved culture and go, you know what? You said that the main issue that our culture is struggling with is an issue of identity. Amen to that. I agree with you. And listen, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but here's what I want to do. I want to flip the script a little bit. And instead of looking at these core questions as the lens and a mirror through which we see the world and culture around us, I want to flip it around and I want to use it as a mirror. Because here's what I'm convinced that Jesus wants to do in and through us. He wants to answer these core questions that we ask. Because these are not just lost and dying cultural questions that are being asked. These are questions that we all ask. You've either asked them before, you're asking them now, or you will ask them. And here's the way of Jesus. Jesus has a way of answering these questions, our most personal questions, by actually pointing us back to him. And because of that, and we'll unpack that in just a moment, but because of that, that actually serves as the big idea throughout this entire series. Again, if you're taking notes with us, here's the big idea of our series. Because he is, because Jesus is, I am. So here's how we answer key, core, personal questions about identity. Who am I? What am I supposed to be? Who can I become? Jesus invites us to look at who he is and define ourselves based on who created us. Does that make sense? So because he is, I am. A couple weeks ago, Preston, he, 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 he went into the first I am statement that Jesus made. And if you were with us a few weeks ago, probably about three weeks ago, we kind of introduced this whole concept that in the book of John, Jesus is on the scene and he actually makes seven I am statements about himself. A couple weeks ago, Preston walked us through the statement when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. It's not just to gain Bible knowledge, but it's also to bring clarity of who we can be and who we are, and who we're supposed to become. 
in that. If you didn't get a chance, if you weren't with us a couple weeks ago, I would highly, highly encourage you, go back through Facebook, through YouTube, through Spotify, through wherever you get podcasts, listen to that message. It's a really, really great message. And it's that first I am statement that Jesus made. This morning, we're going to be looking at the second I am statement that Jesus made. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And I want to invite you to do something with me. I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible with you, whether it's a hard copy or a digital copy, find John chapter 8 with us this morning. Find John chapter 8, and that's where we're going to see the second I am statement together. John chapter 8. Now, the beginning of John chapter 8, if you grew up in church, is a pretty well-known passage to where Jesus is teaching. And there is a woman that is caught in the act of adultery. And the religious leaders, they gather this woman together and they throw this woman, this embarrassed, the shamed woman, at the feet of Jesus. And they look at Jesus and they demand, what should we do to her? Should we kill her? Should we just let her off? You tell us. And it wasn't a question because they really wanted to know the answer. They were trying to trap Jesus. At the beginning of John chapter 8, this is when Jesus utters the famous statement, He who is without sin, you be the first one to cast the stone. And I think if if we were to kind of close our eyes and put ourselves in in that crowd that day or looking on that crowd, we can almost tangibly hear the falling of rocks, dropping rocks, as those men just dropped their rocks and they walked away. And then Jesus looks at this woman full of compassion and said, woman, where are your accusers? Because they had all gone away. And then he says something incredible. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In that moment, in that statement, we see Jesus exhibiting 100% truth, go and sin no more, and 100% grace, neither do I condemn you. And this is the backdrop, this is the setting that Jesus makes the second I am statement on. Because Jesus is squarely within, the, within his ministry right now, his earthly ministry. He's performed miracles. He's taught people about God in a way and with an authority that no one has ever taught about God before. And he's shown a path of how people can have a relationship with God. And this is what Jesus said in John chapter 8 in verse 12. It says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to light. Let me tell you something, church. When Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world, he wasn't introducing a new concept here. As a matter of fact, this word or term light is used 246 times in 216 different verses in the Bible. It's not a new concept. It's not like Jesus said, okay, everybody sit down in a circle, crisscross applesauce. I want to teach you today's lesson, light. They're very familiar with light. But what Jesus was doing in this statement, he was giving a profound reminder to them while at the same time issuing a very personal invitation. And to help us unpack that profound reminder as well as discover that personal invitation, I want to walk you through three key characteristics of what Jesus meant when he said, I am the light of the world. I want to walk you through three characteristics of light together this morning. If you're taking notes with us, first one is light reveals what is hidden. Light always reveals what is hidden. Now, we know this to be true, right? So if you, um, you walk into, you, you, you go into a room and it's a dark room, 
typically what do you do? You turn on the lights. Uh, you, you have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom and you'd rather not fall down the stairs. What do you do? You turn on the lights. You're a parent, you're at this age and stage of life to where one of the greatest torture methods ever created to man are Legos on the floor. And you don't want to step on those Legos. What do you do? You turn on a light. You turn on a light. Here's what we know is physically, we know that we cannot see where we're going without some type of light, which means that we cannot move forward, step forward, or drive forward unless the way ahead of us is shown or lit up. That's what light does. It reveals what is hidden. Do you know, spiritually speaking, it's the same. That we cannot move forward in life with full confidence, move forward, step forward, drive forward in confidence in life without the light ahead of us, without the path ahead of us being lit up or shown. In part, this is what Jesus meant when he said, I am the light of the world. Now, light shows up and it shines out and nothing, everything is revealed in the light, right? Spiritually, that is true as well. Now, that thought can be simultaneously comforting and terrifying. Here's what I mean by that. It can be comforting in that Jesus being the light of the world, and if I have a relationship with Jesus, that he will light up the way ahead of me. Now, I don't know about you, but what I prefer God to do is I prefer for him to light up the next five years ahead of me. And sometimes what God does is he lights up the next step ahead of me. But he lights up what is ahead of me nonetheless. It's comforting in, it's comforting in, in, in knowing that God already knows what comes next. And he lights it up. He illuminates it. He shows the way. But it's terrifying when we start to realize that there is nothing about me in my heart, in my thoughts, in my mind that is hidden from God. Did you know that there's nowhere that you can go? There's no dark room. There's no dark alleyway. There's no dark underpass that you can ever go that God doesn't see you. That can be terrifying, can't it? Because here's what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to sit in a church service in Gainesville or Oakwood, or you, you may be sitting in your living room or wherever you're joining us online. And that thought is terrifying because you automatically assume that everybody around you has their act together and you shudder to think, what if the other people knew what was really in your heart or going through your mind? Can I give you a little bit of relief this morning? Everybody's in that boat. Everybody's in that boat. Here's what I believe that Jesus wants you to know about him this morning is Jesus wants you to know that He is for you, and that for you, that love is not conditional based off of something that He doesn't know. In other words, there's nothing that if Jesus were to find out about you, He would sit there and go, whoa, that's a game changer. You were completely known, yet completely loved. And when we start to embrace that simultaneous realization that 
Jesus is for me and lights the way ahead of me while at the same time knows me completely and I don't have to live with some type of act or facade to earn his love in any way. That is the first step in moving forward in living in the light. Why? Because light always reveals what is hidden. Not only does light reveal what is hidden, number two, light always repels the darkness. Light repels the darkness. Raise your hand, Oakwood, Gainesville, online, unless your hands are on the steering wheel. Raise your hand if, as a kid, you were scared of the dark. Got a bunch of liars in here. All right. Now, Oakwood, Gainesville, online, raise your hand. Again, this is a safe place. Safe place. Raise your hand if you're still a little scared of the dark. Got a bunch of liars in here. All right. Do not act. Don't act like you're all big and bad and you actually watched Unsolved Mysteries or X-Files in the dark and didn't get creeped out. I, I was talking to our staff about that and they just all looked at me like, what are Unsolved Mysteries and X-Files? And somebody said, honestly, the scariest thing that I can think of of watching in the dark is Teletubbies. And I was like, fair. That's fair. Now, whether it was Unsolved Mysteries and that creepy music or the X-Files or, or, or Teletubbies. You know, there, there's just something scary about the dark, right? All right, physically, what do we do when we get scared of the dark? We either go flip on the light or we plug in a nightlight. And here's what we know. Physically, we know that wherever the light shines, the darkness disappears. Again, same is true spiritually. Wherever the, dark, wherever the light shines, the darkness disappears. Let me give you an example. Did you know that with the naked eye, like on, on clear conditions, on a, on a clear night sky, did you know that you can look up into the sky and you can actually see the Andromeda galaxy? Even though the Andromeda galaxy is 2.5 million light years away. And if you don't like to think in terms of light years, 23 quintillion years. How is it that the, that the darkest thing that we can think of, the deepest, darkest recesses of space, we can still see the Andromeda galaxy from 2.3 million light years away? Because light always finds a way. The light always wins. Spiritually, do you know the same thing is true? I think so many times we, we, we think of the light and darkness. The, these are images that the Bible uses over and over and over to convey the things of God, contrasting those with the things against God. But sometimes we get into our minds that it's some type of cosmic yin-yang, and they're equal. And here's what I would tell you, and here's where I would remind you, church, they're not equal. The light and the darkness are not equal. Wherever the light shines, the darkness fades. The darkness is repelled. And that has profound ramifications on you and I. Because let's just get honest. There are many of us, our families, we feel like we're in an all-on all spiritual attack from hell itself. And we feel that we are surrounded by darkness. And here's what I would tell you. Take heart and do not fear, for greater is he who is in you, Jesus Christ, than he who is in the world. 
This darkness. The darkness always has to flee. The darkness will flee. Why? Because light always wins. There's some of us that we have been struggling with the same addictions and the same temptations and the same struggles over and over and over. And we feel just so wrapped up with darkness. Here's what I would tell you. Take heart. Do not fear. Greater is he who is in you than the chains and the struggles and the addictions that may have you right now. The darkness will flee in the presence of light. Light and dark cannot simultaneously exist. Darkness is always repelled by light. Light always repels darkness. But I want to show you a third characteristic of light this morning. Light invites. Light invites. You ever been sitting on a back porch on a summer day with a bug zapper? That is a great, great cheap form of entertainment, isn't it? You got those beetles, and then you might have a dumb squirrel for a little while, and then it becomes a crispy squirrel. You ever been to a, uh, to a Georgia home game at night at the beginning of the fourth quarter? Everybody holds their phones up. Or you ever been sitting on the lawn of the Stone Mountain Laser Show? You, it's, it's lit up with lights all, all, all across the lawn. Now, whether you're sitting on a back porch with a bug zapper or you're at Sanford Stadium at the beginning of the fourth quarter or you are at the very beginning of the beginning riffs of Freebird at a Leonard Skinner concert, we know that there's something community enticing and inviting about light, isn't there? We want to join in in the light. Do you know, again, same thing's true spiritually. Jesus did not say, I am the light of the world, just to give us a Bible fact about him. Jesus gave us this thought, I am the light of the world, as a personal invitation to him. You need to listen. Jesus actually invites you to a new life, to a transformed life. Jesus invites you to be born again and to live a life that you were created to live. So many times we get it so twisted and we think that Jesus invites him, invites us to himself for him to judge us. And we come cowering before Jesus and we go, okay, let me just take my licks for a while. Let me feel bad enough for a few years and then like I'll get over it. Listen, Jesus doesn't invite you to himself to judge you. Jesus invites you to himself to transform you because he loves you. He is the light of the world. Now, if we were to stop right here, I think we would completely miss the boat. And here's what I mean. This message in this passage, it's not really about light. I mean, I've given you some facts about light, given you some thoughts about life, and it's probably nothing earth-shattering. I mean, you didn't know that light didn't reveal what's hidden or repels darkness or invites do you know that this message, this passage, is really about Jesus and it's about us? It's about Jesus and it's about me. It's about Jesus and it's about you. Here's what I mean by that. And this is the crux of the series. Because he is, I am. Because Jesus is the light of the world, I am. Because Jesus is the light of the world, I am. Well, who am I because Jesus is the light of the world? 
kind of bringing things to, to, to a close this morning. Do you know because Jesus is the light of the world, I am known. I, I, I'm known. I, I can be known by the God who created the universe. I can be known backwards and forwards, inside and out, and loved nonetheless. I don't have to put on an act. I don't have to put on a face. I can be known. Second, because Jesus is a light of the world, I can be protected. You, you, you need to hear me, and, and I'm, not, I'm not making light or trying to sound trite of any of our struggles because a lot of us are going through some really, really difficult things and some really heavy things. But did you know that there's no attack that will ever, ever come against you that is bigger than God? Did you know that there's no temptation that you will ever face and encounter that cannot be overcome by Jesus? Did you know did, did, did you know that you can have that you can have certainty of if the worst thing that were to happen to you was death, where you would be? What would happen next? Because Jesus is the light of the world, did you know that you can be protected? But third, did you know that because Jesus is the light of the world, you can be invited. And, and, and what I mean by invited, I don't mean invited as a stranger. I don't mean invited as an acquaintance. I don't even mean invited as a friend. I mean invited as family to the table of God. I mean invited to be adopted as a son or daughter of God. Do you know the more we get into these I am statements, that first core question about identity who am I? Did you know one of the base level identifiers of who we can be is a son or daughter of God? You can be invited. But you know what's crazy in, in, in the ways in which God works is God not only invites us to know him and to be known by him, but God actually invites us to be used by him as an instrument in his hand. Here's what I mean. In the book of Matthew, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, most famous um, sermon that Jesus ever preached, known as the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus said. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a, light, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out to all, for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You are invited to share this light. You are not only invited, but you are empowered to share this light. Did you know that light... What Jesus is calling us to is for us to share his light with the people around us so that they can experience the same hope and joy and love and peace that he gives us. One of the fascinating things I think about light, light is one of the only things that I can think about that if it is shared, it is not diminished. Here's what I mean by that. If I were to share um, a meal with you or share my meal, you may look at me and go, Ben, those waffle fries look really good. And I know the hints that you're dropping. You want some of my waffle fries. 
Or you may say, hey, Ben, can, 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 I, can I have a few bucks? Um, I need about three, three or five or 80 bucks. Did you know if I share my food with you or if I share my money with you, at the end of the day, I have less food and I have less money. You know, you go, yeah, that's how math works. Light doesn't work that way. Think about having a candle and you, you, you light that candle and use that candle to light another person's candle. Your candle, that light, that fire, it's not diminished because you lit somebody else's candle. Did you know in the economy of God, when you share the light of the world with someone, that's not subtraction, that's multiplication. Light invites. And you may be saying, Ben, I don't have one of those crazy stories. I have, a, I have just kind of a, a normal run-of-the-mill salvation story. I don't know if I really have much to share. Well, let me push back on that for a moment. Two things. Number one, there's no such thing as a normal, insignificant, run-of-the-mill, ordinary salvation story. You know what salvation is? It's when God looks upon us. He knows us as we really are, all the hidden parts of us, all the parts that we want to project to others. And he says, I love you. And he, he gives life to something that was previously dead. He gives undeserved grace to those of us that don't deserve it. He transforms us from the inside out. It is nothing less than supernatural. I don't care what your story is. don't care what your backdrop is. Every single person, you may be like Andrew, where you gave your life to Jesus when you were in elementary school or right there on the precipice of going to middle school. You may be one of our adults to where you gave your life to Jesus in your 40s or your 50s or your 60s. You may have come out of a great family. You may have come out of a broken family. You may have come out of a lot of addiction. You may have never touched any type of substance before. It is no less miraculous. There's no such thing as an unmiraculous salvation story. Number two, here's what I would challenge you to do. If you think that your story is less miraculous than others, you got to trust me on this. God can take a little and he can make much of it. Again, under perfect conditions, you know that the human eye can see a candlelight probably the smallest source of light that we can create, a candlelight from 30 miles away under perfect conditions. Never underestimate what God can do in your story. God can take a little spark and he can ignite the wildfires of revival to sweep a nation. But we've just got to step out and invite. But ultimately, ultimately, did you know that life off, or light offers a choice? Light offers a choice to us. Oakwood, I wanna, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Jim, and he's going to walk you all through what that choice looks like and walk you all through that, that time of invitation. Love you all. Continue to pray for you all. Can't wait to be with you all later on this afternoon at, 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 at the first part of our membership class together. But Pastor Jim, you, you go ahead and take it from here and, and, and lead as the Holy Spirit calls you to lead. Gainesville Oakwood, we're going to stay here. Light offers a choice. What is that choice? Here's the choice. Step into the light or remain in the shadows. Step into the light 
or remain in the shadows. You know, this series is, is entitled, I Am, Because He Is, I Am. There, there was something that I've been wrestling with over the last couple of weeks. And it's, it's, it's massive, distinct differences in different terms or different thoughts that we may have. Let me walk you through them real quick. Do you know there's a massive difference between saying, I'd like to be, I'd like to be known, I'd like to be protected, I'd like to be invited. Or, or how about this? You may be saying this, you may be thinking this. Listen, I'm hoping to be. Hey, 2024, new year, new me. Hoping to be. I'm hoping to be known. I'm hoping to be protected. I'm hoping to be invited. Or, or how about this? You may be in this boat. I'm trying to become. Ben, I'm trying to be known. I'm trying to be protected. I'm trying to be invited. There's a massive difference between I'd like to be, I'm hoping to be, I'm trying to become, and catch this, I am. Did you know that you can have certainty in knowing that you are known, you are protected, you are invited? Let me ask you a question, church, before we enter into a time of prayer. You have that certainty? When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, what do you do with that? Can you say, because he is the light of the world, I am known, I am protected, I am invited. If you can't say that, here's what I want to ask that you do. In just a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to sing. We're just going to open up this front. If you want to come down and pray, if you want to pray with me, I would love to pray with you. If you want to meet up after the service or set up a time for us to talk or meet up or whatever, I would love that. And you may be sitting here this morning and go, listen, I can't say with confidence, I am known, I am protected, I am invited. But Ben, there's somebody that's heavy on my heart that they'd like to be, they're hoping to be, they're trying to be, those things. Here's your opportunity. God has brought you into this place, into this space, into this moment for you to pray for that person by name on behalf of them. There's great power in prayer. We just have to take that next step. So what's that next step look like for you? Would you pray with me? And after we pray, Michael's going to lead us in a song. We're going to open up this front for you to respond however God calls you to respond this morning. God, we thank you so much that you love us. God, that you are our Father who knows us, who protects us, and who invites us to be known by you, to have a sense of belonging. God, you've placed other people in our lives that we know need you. God, as we have experienced your light, God, we know that they need to experience your light. God, I pray that you would set up divine appointments for us this week for us to be able to live out the light that you have poured into us upon them. That we can just simply invite them to come to church with us. God, I pray that you would give us courage and boldness where we need courage and boldness. God, I pray that you would bring clarity where we need clarity. But God, most importantly, we pray that you would act, that you would move in a very real and a very, very powerful way in and through us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.